All right. So hello, everyone joining us. Welcome to March's work now and then in the future, workforce models for a digital and accessible future. My name is Alexia Benner, or Lex for short. I'll be your host today, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am a senior leader of talent here at Living HR, and you're going to have to forgive the voice. <clears throat> we are experiencing what we call the pollening in Florida. So it's kind of our fall and spring mishmash into one. There's pollen everywhere. So that is why I sound like this. And I can see our fellow Floridians smiling along with me because they know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so for those of you joining us, I would love for you to drop your name and location in the chat and feel free to drop in your one as well so you can all connect with one another. So for those of us who have been to uh, work now and in the future before, welcome back. And to those of you who are joining for the first time, welcome. It is so great to have you here. We are Living HR and we reimagine work by designing meaningful workplace experiences where people are supported. And so one of the ways that we at Living HR lift humans both in and out of the workplace supporting our community. And for every work now and in the future, we partner with a nonprofit organization doing good work and uplifting our communities. It is always free to attend these events, but we do support a nonprofit partner. And I am beyond honored that today, <clears throat> excuse the voice, we are, um, our partner is USA for UNHCR, which is the UN Refugee Agency. So they're a nonprofit providing life-saving essentials like shelter, food, water, safety, and protection. And for today, the proceeds are actually going towards the people in Ukraine who are going through the absolutely unimaginable right now. Um, as a modeler with another one on the way here in a few weeks, you know, hearing the stories of, you know, parents walking hundreds of miles with their kids, moms giving birth in makeshift bomb shelters in the basement's hospitals, you know, dads having to say goodbye to their children at the border because they have to stay and fight. All of those things really hit home for me. And so I am, I am so, so honored that we're able to support such an incredible cause. So a link will be dropped in the chat for you to donate to if you're in a place to do so. And 100% of the proceeds go directly towards that nonprofit. So let's get into the introduction of our humans that are here with us today. So first off, I want to introduce Elena Moeller, an artist here at Living HR. So you're going to see on the screen right now our conversation coming to life with just absolutely breathtaking art designed in real time. So thank you so much, Elena, for your artistry. This is so incredible to watch and see right in front of our eyes. And our uh, panelists, our guest panelists today include Alicia O'Brien, who's the VP of Innovation at Wilson HCG. And I am going to put her a little bit on the spot because she just won Tampa Bay Business Journal's Businesswoman of the Year. So congratulations, Alicia. That's such an incredible accomplishment. We also have Dave Carhart, who's the VP of People at Lattice. And we have Karina Monison, who's the Senior Manager of Research and Advisory at Ultimate Kronos Group, or UKG. Um, so I would love for each of our panelists to briefly introduce themselves, share where they're broadcasting from, um, and we'll go ahead and start with you, Karina. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that introduction, Alexia. Hi, everyone. My name is Karina Monison, and my pronouns are she and her. 
I'm joining you today from South Florida. So I see that we have a few of our attendees who are also from the same area. It's a little bit gray and rainy right now where I'm at. So apologies if some of the natural light shifts in and out. Um, as part of my role, I do a lot of workforce trends analysis. So I'm really looking at doing some deep dives on what the biggest trends that we see impacting organizations long-term and how we can create products and solutions to really support our customers as well as the industry at large as they try to deal with some of the pretty magnificent changes that we've seen in the world of work over the past two years and also trends that have been really convalescing and growing over the past 20 plus. So it's really an honor to be with you all today. I'm really excited to get to know our panelists a little bit better and watching this artwork happen in real time is also a pretty unique um, thing to be watching that I've never seen anything like before. So incredible work. Yeah, it's really mesmerizing. Thank you so much, Karina. Dave, I'll have you introduce yourself next. Thanks. Yeah, I'm Dave Carhart. I uh, lead the people team at Lattice. Um, we are a people success platform across uh, all aspects of talent management. Uh, I joined virtually. Uh, we were about 150 people. Uh, we're about 600 now, uh, hiring 150 people this, this quarter. Um, I'm actually about to uh, make a career change and go and, and build out uh, our advisory practice. I've loved just getting to talk to uh, HR folks, have conversations like this, um, and I'm just really excited for the conversation today. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. And last but certainly not least, Alicia. Thank you so much. It's Alicia O'Brien here. I'm the VP of Innovation at Wilson HCG. Um, I realized a couple hours ago that I'm actually coming up on my 11th anniversary this month, which is crazy um, just to think that all we've been through as a company and, um, and what we do is, is really, um, it's really relevant to this conversation. So Wilson HCG, we specialize in creating recruitment solutions for organizations of all shapes and sizes globally. So our core focus is recruitment um, outsourcing. So organizations outsource their recruiting practices are part of such to our organization. And then as the leader of the innovation team, we're really focused on making sure that all clients, prospects, and any of our business lines are really set up to face the market, especially the, in the current state, um, and representing their brands well, making sure they have the right reporting and analytics, and just really thinking about what is talent looking for right now and how can we help identify that talent better. So I've had the joy of supporting that team for about three years, and then also um, spending time with clients directly as well on a global basis. And similar to what um, the other panelists have mentioned, just having these conversations, sharing ideas, seeing what's working, seeing what's not working. Um, and obviously we know that that's been changing quite a bit in the past couple of years. So excited for today's discussion. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Thank you all so much for being here, for introducing yourselves. I think those were great introductions and really, really relevant to the conversation we're having today. Um, so what we're talking about really is reimagining work in different ways to adapt to the demands of today's talent. So, you know, some of the things we're considering are what do people want? How do they work? And how can we support them right now to do their best work? You know, Lisa, you just talked about this. This has changed and it continues to change rapidly over the last two years. And so we as business leaders need to look at ways we can adapt to those shifting talent demands some of the ways that we do this at Living HR, um, you know, we have a cross-functional pod structure. So we work in pods or teams and across those teams, we have multiple disciplines. We have 
compensation skill sets, we have general HR skill sets, we have designers, we have copywriters, we have brilliant minds that touch a, on a, a broad spectrum um, of abilities. And so that way we can best serve the clients that we're working with. Um, it also helps because it creates backup buddies. So when you're out, you're out. There's somebody there that's answering those client emails for you. So you can really fully disconnect and take that time and space away from work, which is so, so important. Um, we have a work from wherever it makes sense mentality. So whether that's Paris, like our wonderful, wonderful illustrator here today, Elena, whether that's from the West Coast, East Coast, it doesn't matter. Um, it's really wherever makes sense to you so that you can get your best work done. Um, you know, we have ways to turn off notifications. Everybody's mobile enabled these days. We have ways that we can turn those notifications off and we make sure when that gets updated, we share that out with the team. So when you're not working, you're not working. Um, you know, we do capability tracking, we do capacity planning. So we make sure that no one person is overloaded to the point of burnout. We try to catch it before it gets there. We have very open discussions as a team. We look where we can actively shift work from one person to another. And with all that, you know, we've been doing all of that since before it was really cool. That's kind of how we were built in 2009. So this is something we've been doing for years and years and years. And this is something we work really closely with our clients to do is help them to create and build those programs in ways that work for them. Every person, every situation, every organization is so different. So it works really well for us. It doesn't necessarily work really well for others, but because we've been at the forefront of this working model for such a long time, we can really dive in and help people look at how they're working. So with that, I'll get us started with our first question out to the panel. And I know this is a passion point for Karina, so I'm gonna toss it to you first and then have Alicia and Dave jump in. Um, but really what trends are you, <clears throat> are you seeing as we continue to progress in this much more employee centric era, right? We're, we're hearing about the great resignation. You know, I know the four day work week is something that's kind of becoming a hot topic. We're seeing it be piloted successfully in places like Iceland and in the UK. Um, so that, and then what other trends are you really seeing sort of emerge from this shift and really where the talent demands are? Awesome. Thank you, Alexia. And actually, you kind of did a fantastic lead in because a lot of the initiatives that you just mentioned as part of the core culture at Living HR are exactly the types of things that we're starting to see employees really start to demand from their employers and they're walking away if they're not getting it. And really at the core of it, I think it's a pretty obvious theme here that it really like it really comes down to flexibility and it comes down to mental health, really, right? And, and obviously the burnout that we have seen running rampant over the past couple of years has really brought this all to light. But I think it's important to recognize the fact that it didn't all start with the pandemic and American employees have been burnt out more than a lot of our global colleagues for decades now. And certainly the internet and this ability to work from wherever, we're touting it as a benefit. And it certainly is today in terms of not having to go into an office, but there's also a very negative impact that that can have. And that has traditionally had for a lot of American employees, particularly in the white collar sectors where we can do our work whenever from wherever, which oftentimes translates to working nights and weekends. Um, from our mobile phones and not really being able to disconnect. So I think that this whole right to disconnect, which you touched on with the turning off notifications, 
um, more PTO, more work-life balance is really what people are searching for today. And the four-day work week, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's my favorite thing to touch on. Um, you know, anytime I've talked about the four-day work week in the past, I've gotten a lot of kickback from people saying that this is something that has come up a couple of times in our history. Apparently, it was a, it was a big deal in the 80s that people were talking about it, and it's never really caught on. And I think that it's different this time around because of the scope that we're seeing and also because of the changing technology and what that's enabling. And so just a really quick history lesson, right? We, I think we tend to think of the five-day work week as our 40-hour 40, 40 work week is almost set in stone. But in reality, I, I looked into it, this started getting piloted and labor unions started talking about this back in the late 1800s. And it took until the 1930s for the Fair Labor Standards Act to come into play. And so that was when it really legally required organizations to keep the, their employees to 40 hours a week. And the reasoning for that was eight hours for work, eight hours for sleep, and eight hours for what you will. That was the campaign that the labor unions put in. So basically now 130 years later with completely different industries, completely different jobs and completely different technologies, we're still going by this like rallying cry essentially that might have worked back in the late 1800s and, and finally got put into law in the 1900s, but it's not really applicable. It's not set in stone. It is actually a completely arbitrary number that organizations are still holding on to. And so that kind of background was just really fascinating. And when we're talking about the adoption, it's incredible. We're seeing it in Asia, we're seeing it in Europe, where entire countries like Spain are piloting it across their entire countries. And we're also starting to see it getting picked up a lot more in the US. And there are quite a few different companies that have started piloting it. And just within the past few months, I now have two different family members of mine that have every other Friday off. And one of them works for the federal government and one of them works for Raytheon, which is a, a huge company in the defense field. And so this is really starting to, to transition from being a kind of out there statistic to a place where it's actually being adopted by American companies, where it's becoming a lot more anecdotal evidence because we're actually seeing the results of it. And almost all of these pilots have found that there's been incredible benefits like increased productivity, certainly better work-life balance, better retention, better productivity. It's really almost counterintuitive, but when Henry Ford first piloted it in his, uh, you know, in his uh, factories back in the 1920s, he actually found the same thing, that when he reduced their hours to 40 hours a week, counterintuitively productivity improved. And that's why he eventually adopted it, which really led to the Fair Labor Standards Act coming into play. So I think that even though this one still sounds a little bit out there, it really isn't, and it's something that is really going to be demanded by employees once it starts catching on. Interesting. Alicia or David, I'd be curious for your take on this as well. I can jump in and even just talk about some of the things that we've tried within Wilson HCG and some of the recommendations that we've made within our clients. So um, I think one of the challenges that presents itself, especially in a business services environment, is that you're client-driven, right? And so a lot of times clients expect and probably drive a little bit of what you were saying, Karina, about working 24-7 by 365, and that can be a challenging feat. But one of the things that we've tried just to kind of like bridge that gap or at least test the waters, if you will, 
is doing some of those four day work weeks around certain times of year. So as an example, the holidays, a lot of people have families, they wanna be able to spend some extra time to recharge with those. And then also in the summertime, we've seen that be um, a huge initiative internally at Wilson HCG that was a good happy medium. So that way it allowed folks to be able to kind of trade off a little bit of that pod environment that you mentioned, Alexia, so where the work is still getting done, people still feel flexible and we encourage them, make sure you're away, make sure you're away during that time. And I think four day work week is one, um, one method of flexibility, but also just in general, having the ability to work around people's other commitments that are not work. So again, their passions outside of work, volunteering, their families, other things that interest them, and sometimes even gigs, because a lot of times individuals are pursuing passions that are outside of their, dare I say it, nine to five, because that's such a, a coined term nowadays. Um, so saying, you know, if there's a possibility of being able to adjust their hours and making sure that they know that there's a body of work that needs to be completed, but giving the flexibility to, to get that done is huge. Um, and what we've found, whether internally or with our clients, is it's not always going to be a one-size-fits-all. Just like nine to five might not be a one-size-fits-all, the ability to have maybe a couple different solutions so people understand that we can make it work for them and that we're really putting um, the employees first, um, I think, goes a long way. Um, and that's just been a really huge initiative that we've tried to be a, a pioneer in. And then by doing that and showing our clients that this has helped our retention rate, this has helped attract talent to our organization, it could do the same for you and we can help you figure out what might work best. Yeah, I think that, um, a lot of that just really resonates with me. One of the biggest trends that, that I'm seeing really is just an embrace of experimentation. And, you know, I, I think, Alexa, you, you rightly called out that there were a lot of these ideas uh, that were percolating and starting to be tried by, I think, a small number of forward-thinking companies pre-COVID. You know, what we've, uh, one of the uh, silver linings is that the experience of the last few years has just really opened up um, the willingness for all sorts of companies to consider new models. And I think it's because you were dealing with just such a wide range of simultaneous and often unprecedented pressures between hybrid work, new forms of AI and automation, um, continuing rise of just really people-centric thinking, historically tight labor markets, right? All of this is making us really open up the kind of thinking and the design space for what might be possible. Um, I, I don't know whether, you know, all of these experiments will work out. And in many cases, um, you know, like Alicia was saying, they'll work in one company or one culture with one model, uh, but maybe not, not in another. And, and that's okay. I'm, I'm excited that, um, you know, there's people who are trying out the four-day work week. It's something we talked about internally. Um, we didn't implement that, but in part because we were simultaneously implementing a whole set of other changes. So we just decided to go remote first. We had historically been pre-COVID a very office-centric culture, um, where that was very important and central to our DNA. So that's a huge change uh, that we're going through. Uh, and then along the themes of time off and un unplugging, um, we, we implemented originally as a temporary measure, recharge and mental health days during COVID. We found that 
one of the biggest benefits was everyone being off at once. I think it was probably one of the, uh, the benefits too of a, of a four day work week. And one of the ways that just traditional, uh, either traditional vacation or even a, a flexible or unlimited vacation time doesn't always, doesn't always work. So we found that adding these in was incredibly popular and really restorative for people. Um, so we made that a permanent benefit. Um, and then recently added in a, a sabbatical and um, giving people an extended time off to um, really give them the, the space to kind of have some of the thinking that about their own life priorities that we've been talking about with the great resignation and, and reshuffling um, with the idea being that someone might come back and decide that actually their next step in their journey takes them somewhere else. But if that's the case, we want them to have the space to realize that and we want to support them in that next step. I love that. And what I'm hearing kind of from all of you is that it is that flexibility. It's kind of trying things and seeing what works and recognizing to Dave's point, something may not work for us or we've got something else going on that's inhibiting us. But I love that. And I love the concept of a sabbatical. That's so interesting. Um, so one thing I'm really curious about, Dave, and I know you all have done some really great work here. You know, we have this shift of the workforce, right? We all, for the most part, those of us that could, went fully remote when the pandemic hit us. There's been a little bit of wavering on when's the right time to bring people back to the office. Do we bring people back to the office? How do we do that in a way that's meaningful? How do we do that in a way that supports what people want, but doesn't destroy our culture totally, right? I think you've got, you know, I mentioned extrovert jail on our internal chat earlier, which is what I've personally called the pandemic, um, who are just aching for that, that in-person intera interaction. And you have a host of people who are like, no, remote is the life for me. So Dave, I'm really curious specifically for you, but then I would love for Karina and Alicia to jump in. You know, what are some of the, the ways that you've been able to navigate that, right? And create these workforce models that embrace that hybrid nature of things without losing the culture. And if you can talk a little bit too about some of the tech and platforms that are enabling you to do that in a, a really meaningful way. Yeah, and you know, I'm, there's, there's two ends of the spectrum. Uh, there are companies that either have always been or are now going completely remote and obviously very traditional models that are very office centric, five or at least four days a week. The space in between that is really wide open. And there are so many different variations of how you can put this together. <clears throat> I think over the longer term, we will see a couple of, <clears throat> excuse me, um, lots of uh, colds going around these days uh, as we, we, all, <laughs> we all navigate some in-person again. Um, I think we'll see a lot of, uh, again, experimentation in this middle space. For us, it was really important that when we set out our philosophy that we were doing remote first hybrid and not remote only. And the way that we're navigating that is we know that we're gonna be saving at least over the longer term, a lot of money in real estate costs. We're really primarily taking that and not just trying to, to drop it to the bottom line but investing it into other ways of supporting employees and supporting culture and, and the organization as, as a whole. 
A big one for that is, is travel. We figure we really budgeted for folks to do at least a trip a quarter. Um, lots of flexibility on that, but um, heavily encouraging people to, as they feel comfortable, um, come together as individual teams or departments. Uh, we're also enabling and welcoming a lot of team level decisions. So for example, in our engineering org, lots of engineers wanna be fully remote. We have a lot of engineers that want some in-person time. And so we started setting up team level sorting. So we have uh, engineering pods that are office-based and there's engineering pods that are remote. And when we hire a new engineer, they'll get plugged into a pod, not only based on skill set and who needs people the most, but what are their preferences and what's going to work best with them for the type of team that they want to be a part of. So the number of remote or office-based pods is going to shift over time based on, on demand. And, and that team that's office-based, maybe they decide, hey, they want to do one week in the or one day a week in the office. Maybe they decide they want to do one week a month. They, they can decide what they want to do, but to really enable a lot of decisions by people like that directly affect their, their work. I think one other is that we're really trying to invest in our employee resource groups. I think one of the things that we found was that when we went fully remote, that ERGs were one of the most powerful connection points across organizational lines and between employees and our values and a, and a larger cultural vision, um, as well as kind of really good two-way communication and discussion around you know, challenging topics within in the company. So we've been adding more formalized budgets. Um, we added cash compensation uh, for ERG leads, recognizing that ERG leadership is real work. Um, and just really trying to invest in, in those teams as integral parts of, of the company and culture. Alicia or Karina, do you wanna jump in on that? And thank you, Dave, I think that's, that's wonderful. And for those of you unfamiliar with employee resource groups, Dave, if you could give like a little bit of a rundown on what those are, we may have some, some folks in the audience that aren't super familiar with those, but I'm really glad you brought that up. Just a quick snippet, if you don't mind. Yeah, so it's uh, basically a, a group of uh, underrepresented or historically disadvantaged uh, employees who get together um, really, and they have space to define their charter, depending on the, the group. Um, it may be more towards building um, safe space and social connection between the members. It often includes uh, advocacy and discussion with people, team, and executive leadership around benefits, policies, um, awareness raising, uh, other topics like that. Um, and also, we, we heavily engage around uh, diversity recruiting uh, strategy together. And so uh, right now, we have uh, four ERGs, Pride at, at Lattice, uh, Women at Lattice, um, Loud, which is our, our uh, people of color uh, ERG and then recently formed, and, and I think really important during uh, the pandemic time has been parents and caregivers at, at Lattice, um, where we've had a lot of really good ongoing conversations. Um, we the ERG leadership recently did a survey of all the parents and caregivers at Lattice and hosted just a, a sort of open company-wide conversation about challenges parents are facing, uh, 
ways that managers can help and respond and, and model good, good behavior uh, for the rest of their teams to support parents and caregivers. Thank you. So with that, you know, Alicia, I know at Wilson, you all, you're, you're incredibly flexible. You have a hybrid work environment that works really, really well. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well, sort of that keeping the culture while you kind of navigate this, you know, sort of shifting normal reality. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that's worth noting is we've had, <clears throat> I don't want to call it a hybrid environment, but the opportunity to work virtual as long as we've been in business. So for almost 20 years now, which at the time I think was quite a bit of a foreign concept. And as time has passed, it's become a little bit more prevalent. So the good news for us was that when everybody had to go home, um, we were already kind of set up to do that. What I mean by that is a lot of it started with technology, right? So having communication platforms, a lot of us now are familiar with Teams and Zoom and the different, um, and Slack, the different communication channels. And for some organizations, they had them, like it was something that was on your desktop, but you didn't really use it because you could just stand up and go walk over and talk to your neighbor. So I think allowing communication channels and while for some organizations, that might be hard because people say, I don't know where to go to access whatever I need to. Um, and, you know, it's easy to walk over to somebody and, and ask for help. Um, we're a very tech forward organization, so that's helped us. So we make a lot of use of our HRIS platform to talk about skills, looking at um, ways that people can rec provide recognition for each other. And then we also have a platform called Kudos, which is um, a way that we can reward our, um, our team members for a job well done. It's peer-to-peer, -peer, it's leader to, to um, direct report, things along those lines. And they have a, like a point system so you can earn um, points that you can turn in for gift cards and really you can um, stack them up and some people will be able to take that and you know go have a shopping spree at the holidays or something like that. So it's been a really good way to still be able to show that recognition for folks even if you can't see them in person. Um, and then, one of the things that's always been really prevalent for our culture, which has kind of stood um, strong over the last couple of years is we really listen to our people and hear what they want to do. So as an example, um, to kind of piggyback off of the topics of ERGs, we've got a lot of um, employee, well, we call them employee belonging groups here at Wilson HCG, but they're hosting events. So there's a wellness committee. So we do some competitions. Where people can, you know, create recipe books and things like that. And um, we've had, groups doing virtual yoga sessions. So we still try to do the things that we would have done in the office um, and bringing groups of people together that might've gotten together um, you know, in person and doing that remotely. And then as people slowly start to come back to the office, because that's what we're doing here is we have an open office space. Nobody's gonna be required to come in, but they certainly can. And then just doing events um, throughout the year. So maybe if people don't want to come in regularly, they might have something to look forward to in their local to one of the offices that we have around the globe. So that seems to be a good balance. And a lot of the options that we do are actually little to no cost. Um, and if anybody is interested, we've got a list of different things that um, that we've been able to do that I'm happy to share. That would be very easy and actually a great potential growth opportunity for an employee that really wants to. Um, to make an impact and kind of bring people together that just takes somebody to plan it and then um, can carry it out. Absolutely. And honestly, I don't have a whole lot to add to that. I think that Dave and Alicia covered so many incredible strategies, many of which were also including at UKG. 
kind of on, on the subject of listening to people, I think that is a really important one to hone in on just a little bit more because oftentimes what your team might want can vary depending on the team, depending on the department, depending on all of that. And so utilizing a lot of really um, impactful employee surveys has been a huge part of our strategy. We measure every single quarter different things. We're looking at leadership effectiveness. We're looking at culture. We're looking at what do you want, right? Do you want to come back to the office and what capacity do you want to come back into the office as well as quite a few other things. Diversity is a huge part of our core um, values process. And so we're always looking at different opportunities to make sure that we're being inclusive. And I think uh, the one thing that, that maybe didn't get mentioned in this conversation when we're talking about hybrid is that we know that traditionally marginalized groups do tend to prefer working fully virtual more so than um, more so than some of the other groups. And there is definitely the risk of not having that same type of visibility and potentially losing out on growth and opportunities as a result of that. And so I think that as part of every hybrid strategy, there, there really needs to make sure that there's an effort made to be as inclusive as possible and make sure that people are still receiving visibility, even if they're not able to come into the office and certainly traveling for, for big team events, like Dave mentioned, that's a huge part of what we do. We're always um, looking, we're, we've obviously halted business travel for most of the pandemic, but we're starting to open that up again. Teams are starting to come together. And it's a really exciting time, especially because we went through a, a merger at the beginning of the pandemic. And so many of our colleagues are meeting for the first time in person, which has been a really, really exciting and inspiring time frame, but, um, but just making sure that there is visibility that people aren't falling through the cracks. And that's even true when it comes to, to regular meetings. We know that when we have people that there might be six people around a conference table and four people calling in, that if the people around the conference table aren't making a concerted effort to, to, to open it up, to the people on the phones, that there might be a very real opportunity to miss the cues if someone has something to say or that you know they have something to add. And so a lot of it is, is like Alicia mentioned, no cost, right? They're using the same technologies that we've been using with Microsoft Teams um, or Zoom, but just making sure that we're changing the culture and being aware of best practices to really make sure that we don't end up in a position where there are uh, favoritism or opportunities being given to some people because they're on a different side of the hybrid spectrum. And you raise a really good point. And I'm curious, you know, what technologies you all have seen. So being intentionally inclusive in these hybrid environments, right? So um, you know, one thing we do at Living HR, by default, we turn on closed captioning in our meetings so that if for whatever reason, you're not able to hear that well, whether it's you have coworkers or children in the background screaming their minds off, you know, or, or you're hearing impaired, you can still understand what's going on. But I'm curious what other technologies or tools that you've seen that really help make sure that you are being intentionally inclusive as we continue forward in a, in a somewhat remote environment. And including those those people that are preferring to stay home or whatever the case is, we don't want them to become invisible. I'd open that up to the full panel. One that we haven't talked about and kind of a different approach, but is still been um, really impactful for us is doing pre-recorded videos. So as an example, people might be doing water cooler talk and coming up with an idea or you know passing by and somebody's kind of sharing a message. We'll do quick videos with announcements so that way 
the, the other thing that we, we haven't really touched on yet is just meeting fatigue, right? Because if you can't just huddle up with somebody really quickly, you have a time booked out and your whole entire calendar can be 15 to 30 minute increments and that can be very exhausting. So what we've been trying to do is information that just needs to be shared instead of having an email, um, you know, reading words, trying to put a video around it. And to your point, Alexia, making sure that there's those captioning on there so people can kind of peruse it in whatever fashion works best for them. And it's been a really great, great way for us to share information. Um, the platform that we've found the best use of is called CoVideo. Um, and it's, I believe it's either very low cost or free. Um, and it's just a way to sort of expand that message and then giving um, people time back in their day as well, outside of the ones that I already mentioned before. Kudos was my, it's probably my favorite um, of all. Yeah, I'd, I'd really just give a, a big plus one to, to that, that, um, you know, tools that you can use to do asynchronous communication. Um, the short form videos we found actually really useful in product road mapping. So each of our product managers now in the road mapping process, they'll do a quick uh, video on Loom. They'll send that out because then you can, rather than trying to take screenshots, they're able to walk people through where something would fit within the software. Um, people are, are commenting and it's like we're using, starting to use that in other, other forms as well. Um, I do think there's there's starting to be some new uh, tools coming out, especially in like the video collaboration space. Um, Zoom breakouts are are great, um, and I often find that they can if you if you break people out into groups of twos or threes or fours, you can get really good conversation going. Uh, but they're still still limited. They're not quite like generative of some of the same sort of hallway water cooler spontaneous meetings. Um, I would say I haven't found like the, the tool that I think totally uh, totally breaks the market open, uh, but I'm, I'm really excited to see as, as people are experimenting with these. Awesome, awesome, thank you for that. Um, I wanna touch a little bit on flexibility. So you've all, you've all talked about that to a certain degree. You know, I think when we when we're talking about the flexibility of being able to work remote, we're generally talking about a very specific part of the population. There's a whole entire other part of the population that doesn't have that as an option, right? If you have to be present and somewhere physically to do your job, you can't do it from home, right? I can't be a, a grocery store clerk from home. Um, you know, if I'm talking about like security or reception or places that have people that actually have to physically be there. They don't get to work from home. So how do we offer those types of roles flexibility? What can we do as employers and as leaders to offer them some level of flexibility and control, recognizing that work from home is not really a choice for them? What have you all seen? I'm so glad that you brought that up, Alexia, because I do feel like there are quite a few segments of the workforce that have been forgotten in this conversation since the start of the pandemic. And one of the best ways that I've seen, and we actually offer as part of our workforce management solutions, the ability to do so is through autonomous shift swapping. And so oftentimes in some of these shift-based roles, if someone wants to shift their their switch their shift, they need manager approval to do so. And there are certainly some times where it might be flagged because it would bring someone into the overtime category or something like that. But the ability to work with your colleagues to swap your shift 
for whatever reason that you need is really, really impactful and powerful for a lot of these people who might suddenly have their child at home with them because someone in their class had, you know, came down with COVID and suddenly they're on a two week quarantine or something like that. And so it, having this ability to autonomously control your schedule without having to involve your higher ups every single time can be a really, really powerful opportunity for people. And I think that there also should be a move towards being less punitive towards part-time work. And so we've seen that quite a few industries, well, pretty much all industries, or quite a few of them at least, uh, people are penalized if they are part-time workers as opposed to full-time workers. And breaking down that barrier in all capacities has some pretty monumental impacts for people. And obviously a lot of people might not wanna work part-time because they might not be afforded the same type of benefits as their full-time workers. And so that can be a huge opportunity for organizations to really take a look at some of their core policies and say, okay, how can we be more inclusive for all people? How can we make sure that we're also retaining a lot of the people that we might have lost, particularly caregivers during the pandemic because they're no longer able to work these same shifts that they would because they have not a whole lot of flexibility and not a lot of alternatives at their hands in order to kind of deal with these crises as they came up on an individual basis. And so those are two really powerful ways that I see that organizations can really start addressing some of those issues. I'm really glad you brought that up part-time. So um, you know, tying that into the, the she session, right? We saw unprecedented numbers of women leave the workforce in 2020 or people really in caregiver roles, which primarily wound up impacting women. Um, and, and one of the things Living HR does, we let people go part-time and it doesn't have to be this big thing. It's like, hey, right now my life load is too heavy. I don't wanna leave the workforce entirely. We've been able to retain some incredible and brilliant minds by just letting them reduce their hours and reduce that expectation, whether it's temporarily or for the long term. Um, you know, I think that's such an such a um, overlooked solution, and there is a lot of rigidity and resistance to that part time. Um, I'm curious, you know, what other support mechanisms you all have seen or are doing for that for that particular group of caregivers that's left the workforce. You know, how are we targeting those people? and getting them re-engaged. What are you all doing at your organizations? What have you seen work really well in other roles? Because it is tricky. You don't know when you're gonna get that phone call from your child's school to say, hey, your kid's now on a, a 10 day quarantine, a 14 day quarantine. I think it varies, um, you know, and I think most of us who are parents can, can certainly state that working at home with a child is not 100% working. <laughs> You know, you can't be both places at once. So would love to hear from, from you all what some of those strategies you've seen done really, really well on recapturing that part of the workforce. I can jump off here. So one of the things, and I think this is just part of human nature and how we work together as a society is really just leading with empathy and making sure that whether it's, me talking to somebody that's on my team, not just having the conversation be there, but as an organization, have that be a part of the culture to say, we value you and 
we want to have that conversation before you feel as though you make a decision that you think is going to put you um, in a different status as far as employment is concerned and providing that flexibility. So some of the ways that we've been able to action that, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier, where we try different things, some work well, some don't. Um, the pod system was something that for our teams of recruiters worked really, really well, where we might have some overlap in the areas that folks support. Um, and then also by using the technology that we have in place, making sure that our record keeping is up to date, because then it's very easy for somebody to jump in, pick up where um, somebody that might have to sit out um, left off without having to do, <clears throat> for lack of a better term, just planning to be out of office because in, what, in the situation that we're talking about, you don't necessarily have that notice. Um, and then the other piece would just be, you know, looking at, the time spent at work because sometimes it might be you know if you think about normal working hours whatever that means it might be having the flexibility to start a little bit earlier leave a bit a little bit later um, depending on what's going on but at the end of the day we've just really tried to promote transparency to say listen we'll help you we'll help you with whatever situation comes your way we don't want you to feel like you can't have that open conversation and just being part of the solution because sometimes as the person as the parent or what have you that's impacted by these issues your mind is going a million other places, then how am I going to cover my work? And so just really being empathetic and leading that way, um, we found to be, we'll just create that support system internally um, where people feel valued in that way. I love that, Alicia. And I think that that really is at the core of the issue right here. And if we can create that, if we can create more empathetic managers, that will actually address so many of the different topics that we hit on today already. Um, I do think that in addition to having empathy or, or kind of going right along with having empathy, we need to talk about reducing workloads, which I, you know you were alluding to, but I think it's something that we don't call out specifically enough. And we might say, okay, leave early, come, come in early, leave early, and you know, switching around things. But sometimes people are in chapters of their lives or a small period where their kid is, you know, home with them full time for the next two weeks where their workloads need to be reduced. And um, certainly for me, we talked a little bit about this, Alexia, earlier on the call when when the pandemic really picked up, I was uh, you know, heavily pregnant with a very high risk pregnancy and now suddenly had my five-year-old at home and I'm trying to entertain her and teach her how to read and teach her how to add so she doesn't fall behind. And also, you know, growing into a promotion and trying to do all of these things. And I was at a point where I was completely burnt out and um, screaming at my daughter more than I ever had before and, and feeling like I was failing at absolutely everything in a way that I'm sure so many people on this call can relate to. And um, it was actually the promise of maternity leave that kind of got me through that point because otherwise I think I would have kind of thrown my hands up and, and said, I don't think I can keep doing this. And instead what I did was I talked to my manager and had a really frank conversation with him. And we you know, looked at my priorities, looked at what was on my plate and figured out for the short term, how can we reduce this? And how can we get this to a manageable area so that I can handle everything that I need to do without having to wake up at 4.30 in the morning? To, to handle some of my emails and my projects or stay up until two o'clock at night after my daughter goes to bed. And so this was a really powerful experience for me. And that really falls into having an empathetic manager, right? And having that type of trust relationship where you feel comfortable coming to them and saying, I need help right now. And it's more than just um, 
sometimes it's more than just a week or two. Like I need to actually reduce my workload. How can we prioritize what I'm doing and make it so that we're able to move forward from here? There was also some really cool initiatives that UKG rolled out at that time. Like we had a kids club where they actually sent us monthly boxes of these amazing art projects and toys and programs. And they had, you know, entire days of scheduled programming to keep the kids entertained and things like that. So I think that was a really fantastic example of listening to your people, seeing the, you know, the real needs at that point and coming up with some of these ad hoc programs to help with the need at that point. And right now, some of those have been discontinued because we don't have we don't have the same scenario that we did back then. But we have really leaned into our ERG groups. We've really leaned into a lot of our training, and also are really looking at some of these more innovative ways that we can support working parents long term in what is now you know the what is now the issues that people are facing and the things that they need help with most today. So for most of us right now, we do have our children that are back in school or back in daycare centers. But um, you know, there's always new things that come up. And so again, staying agile and listening to your people, asking their people what's going on with you right now, what do you need, and then working together to find solutions. We've, I think one thing that's happened uh, that's gone really well within Lattice is just um, really working to, I think as, as other folks spoke to, normalize some of the conversation and make open space for it. Um, and I think that we've had some really good modeling from some of the senior leaders. Uh, so at the very beginning of the pandemic, uh, Jack, our CEO, became a father and took his full uh, parental leave and was totally unplugged. Um, and out during that time, we've had multiple other members of the executive team uh, either become parents for the first time or have additional children. Uh, during the course of the last two years. And they've just been really open in talking about it, um, in putting blocks on their, their calendar uh, where they need to be away. Um, and I think people seeing that, whether it's on a Slack status or calendar block um, from leaders in the company, uh, they have the, you know, there's more of an understanding of, okay, this is something that, um, that is really supported here. And yes, I'd like, I can do this too. That's such a great point, Dave, is that the behavior modeling, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> I think we're all in the same, the same cold boat, um, that modeling from senior leaders, right? The second a senior leader does something or says something from taking my parental leave to taking a mental health day and telling people about it to signing off at two o'clock because my kid has a band concert, soccer game, ballet recital, whatever it is, making that public, it now makes it so okay for everyone else to do that same thing. So that's really, really, you can't discount, you know, modeling from the senior leadership team enough and, and line leaders. If my leader tells me I'm signing off today at two, I'm going to go watch my kid, you know, be Annie and little orphan Annie. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Guess what I have the freedom to do now. Right. I think that's fantastic. And then for the folks who aren't caregivers directly, um, just really trying to reinforce with them. And, and I, I put myself in this group, I don't have, have children, um, but just really trying to spend the time like listening to the feedback that, that folks are giving and understanding the unique challenges. I think, you know, I would say for myself, reading through the, the comments and the, the responses that came in on the, the parent survey that, that we did, there were just a lot of new things that I learned that you know I hadn't kind of fully understood before. 
um, and and really encouraging, particularly our our manager population. Um, if they're not, per, especially if they're not personally parents or or have caregiving responsibilities, to do that. Yeah, there's one more thing that that I'd love to add here, and that's the focus on basing performance on outcomes rather than on hours worked. And um, you know, Dave, to your point, I think that a lot of people that aren't parents or that aren't caregivers in the same way kind of got overlooked during the course of the pandemic. And many of them did end up taking on extra responsibilities because their colleagues who did have children at home were completely burnt out or weren't able to, you know, to make it to some meetings or things like that. But then as a result, they're getting burnt out. And so, um, you know, I, I think that it is important to recognize that a lot of these measures that are great for working parents are also great for everyone, as long as they're implemented in a way that's equitable and that's taking care of everyone. And this focus on performance outcomes rather than ours is I think really, really crucial. And it does demand that organizations get a little bit more creative or at least a little bit more organized with how they are evaluating performance. And so every manager should have key defined goals with each and every one of their people. They should have KPIs that are trackable that they can look back every single quarter and every single year and evaluate and say, okay, here's, we exceeded this one. Fantastic. What did we do right? What worked? This one was only 80%. What happened here? How can we improve on it? How can we get more strategic? And I also think that when organizations adopt to more of this per outcomes-based culture, rather than visibility or hours-based culture, they're going to start um, seeing some really great, some more adoption and more appreciation of the remote work also, because I know that a lot of managers, a lot of executives, some of the reasons they've been a little bit weary of this remote first or even hybrid opportunity is this concern that people aren't going to be working the same amount, that they're going to be taking some time off. Well, you should be able to tell if your people aren't working and if they're not getting their jobs done. Like there should be very obvious ways to see that without seeing their butt in seat or their green light on Slack. And if there isn't, then that's really something that you should be looking into and evaluating even more. And so I think that also along with that, there's an interesting phenomenon called the Pareto principle, which is um, basically that however long you have to accomplish a task is exactly how long it's going to take. And I have certainly seen that in my own experience that if I've got a deadline of this afternoon, I hit it. And if I have two weeks to do the same thing, I'm probably not gonna get to it until two weeks later. And so, um, you know, that's just a really interesting phenomenon to keep in mind. And also with the flexible hours or the reduced workload, try it out and you will very likely be surprised that your people can actually get the same amount of work done in less time. So, yeah, and I love the call out that caregivers don't just mean parents and also recognizing that those who are not in caregiving roles still can get burned out. They still wind up with a fair share of the burden. So making sure we're including them in recognition and not burning them out, you know, to take on the burden of the rest of the team. So as we have just five minutes left, I did want to kind of summarize some of the themes I've heard today and then wrap with having each of you spend a minute going through some of your favorite resources, sources on this topic, whether it's a podcast, a book, um, some an influencer you like to follow. So really quickly, the themes that I've kind of pulled out of today, listen to your people and be flexible based on what they want and what they're asking for. Don't be afraid to try things, even if they don't work, at least you're trying something new. Um, rigid formal structure is going by the wayside. So what works for one person doesn't necessarily mean that it works for all. And I think that mentality has existed for such a long time. And we're seeing that that's just not really 
how to keep and get talent in this era, lead with empathy. And then if you're in a position as a leader, model the behavior that you want to see from your people. If you're telling your people you have unlimited PTO, take your PTO, be visible about it, be vocal about it, be vocal about those mental health days, be vocal about all those things so that it makes it okay for your people to do those same things. So with that, um, you know, Alicia, if, if you could share a couple of the resources that you really kind of find really useful in this space, again, whether it's a podcast, articles, and influence, or books, whatever that would be, and then we'll jump to Dave and then Karina. Absolutely. So one of the books that I took the time to read during the pandemic, and I, I kind of wish I had done it sooner in my career, it's called Burnout. It's by Emily Nagoski. Um, it was published in 2019, so I guess I couldn't have read it much sooner than that, but it actually helps you figure out as an individual, as a professional, or whatever role you have in life, how to complete what's called a stress cycle, which can really help when tasks are at their high. Because we know that this everything is cyclical, right? It's not going to be even keel. And we know that now it's been proven. So that was a really um, great personal benefit. And then I'm sure I'm not the only one that thinks this, but Adam Grant is just amazing. I just really love his approach, um, listening to um, what he's put out and then also just seeing different um, quotes and nuggets here and there on social media has been really inspiring. And I think just kind of challenges what the norm was. Um, so he's a great follow as well. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, so the, the two for me, uh, first is is Brene Brown um, and I think for, for two reasons. One is like discovering her work for me over the last couple of years was something that um, I think kind of helped me process and figure out how to, how to engage with, with the world much, much better. And I think that, you know, all of the, the it is so much harder to, can be so much harder to build relationships remotely. And I think the key ultimately is is being able to uh, be vulnerable and authentic with each other, and being able to open up like that. Um, and so I think it just it it's very I think critical in the moment to be able to build the type of psychological safety and vulnerability in our organizations to to let that happen. Um, the other one is um, the I'll, I'll make a plug for Lattice's Resources for Humans Slack community, um, which I, I go to personally a ton um, and just like so much learning from, and whether it's there or in, in, in other forms too, just so much learning from other HR professionals. Awesome, thank you. And Karina, a couple, couple resources from you and then we'll wrap the session. Yep. Uh, so Dare to Lead by Brene Brown was definitely the book that I was going to mention that uh, really has encompassed a lot of the empathetic leadership conversation that we've had today, but her work is just fantastic, all of it. Um, and then the other, the other resource that I would suggest is uh, the New York Times newsletter and the Skim and HR Dive. Those are the three newsletters that, I mean, I subscribe to dozens of them, but those are the three that I make sure that I read every single day to make sure that I'm keeping pulse on the future of work as well as the future of the world. Awesome. Thank you all so much. And to all of you that attended, thank you so much for joining our conversation. Again, if you have the means to donate, you're in a place to donate, we would really encourage that. The link is also on our LinkedIn page, Living HR's LinkedIn page. Thank you.
so much to the panelists. This was such a wonderful discussion and I got so much out of it. I'm so appreciative that you all shared your time and insights and expertise with us today. So thank you all so much. Have a fabulous rest of your Thursday. Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone.